Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you? Really? Just checking. So I have a morning routine that uh, I go through every morning. It's because it's my morning routine. (laughs) And I get up and I spend time in the Word. And then I uh, go out for a walk. And while I'm walking, I reflect on what I have read. I uh, pray about who God is and what he has done. I pray about you all. I pray about all sorts of things. I um, sometimes will take my uh, scripture memory cards and review those as I walk. I think. I solve problems. I do everything but listen to my phone or to music or to anything else. It's my quiet time. And uh, yesterday, I went out and I made sure I had my sunglasses with me because the sun was out when I left home. And I started on my way and as I walked, it got cloudy and it got a little bit cooler and I just, I kept going because, you know, it wasn't supposed to rain until afternoon. So I kept going. So now I'm like a mile and a half away from home and it starts to sprinkle. And I think, ah, no big deal, it's just a sprinkle. And so I keep walking and then it starts raining more and more. And now I'm praying about what I should do because I'm just wearing shorts and t-shirt and I'm walking and I'm a good mile and a half or so from home. And so I start start praying, you know, should I call home? And then I realize I can call home, but no one's going to be there. They're either at work or they're sleeping and they don't keep their phones with them. Or, you know, I'm walking, I think, oh, well, I can stop here, they know me, and I can go and wait inside that building. Uh, but it was crowded, and it wasn't raining that hard yet. And so I kept walking and uh, started heading home. And then I got past the spots where I knew I could safely shelter. And then it was uh, a few trees here and there that I could maybe hide under. But I, you know, I'm praying, Lord, I don't want to get wet. I don't want to catch cold. I don't, you know, maybe somebody will come by and pick me up. Not likely, but maybe. <laughs> and so I just, I just kept going, and I passed up my opportunities. And as I was walking up the side of the road, I saw something laying in the road, and I said, well, that doesn't belong there, so maybe I'll move it when I get there. And, and I got up there, and I'm looking, and I think, man, you know what that is? That's an umbrella. <laughs> and you can see the dirt all over it. It was full of uh, dirt and water. It was messy. But I was thinking, Lord, thank you. He answered my prayer. Now, 
I could have looked at it and said, oh, look, it's an umbrella. It's probably broken. That's why it's laying in the road. Or I could have moaned and groaned about how God didn't answer my prayer. He didn't send somebody to pick me up. He sent an umbrella. Or I could have complained that it's dirty and I might get dirt or mud on me. Or I could say, you know, a golf umbrella would have been better because <laughs> those are bigger and I wouldn't have gotten as wet. You know, sometimes... We don't see God's answers to our prayers because it's not what we expect and it's not quite what we asked for. Well, after I do my walk, I get home and I have my prayer time. And one of the things I do when I pray is I pray through the names and attributes of God. And yesterday, the name I was praying through is God is my help. Right? Psalm 54, 4 says, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. He had helped me. He gave me an umbrella so I wouldn't get wet. When I was in my praise and adoration section of my uh, prayer notebook, the verse that was for yesterday was Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. This is a mercy. Don't miss it. It was new to me. And then I got to my Thanksgiving section, and James 1.17 was the verse I was praying through. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's amazing how God puts all sorts of things together in our lives as he answers our prayers. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Are you devoted to praying? Do you continue steadfastly in prayer? Dr. David Livingston was a pioneer missionary in Africa. He devoted his life to evangelism, exploration, and emancipation. As a young man, he wrote that the salvation of men ought to be the chief desire and aim of every Christian. And he resolved to... Uh, give to the task of missions all that he earned beyond what was needed for his subsistence. And later in his life, he committed himself to see Africa open to the gospel and spent 30 years working to that end. Livingstone was described by his friends as a man of resolute courage and fearless faith. He said, I shall try to hold myself in readiness to go anywhere, provided it be forward. Like the Apostle Paul, who said it was his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, Livingston longed to take the gospel to the tribes that had never heard the good news of Jesus. Even in the face of great daily challenges, which he described as heat, harsh conditions, and hardness of hearts, he wrote this, I hope to be permitted to work as long as I live beyond other men's lines of things and plant the seed of the gospel where others have not planted. But every excursion for that purpose will involve separation from my family for periods of four to five months. I am a missionary heart and soul. God had an only son, and he was a missionary and physician. A poor, poor imitation of him I am or wish to be. In his service, I hope to live. In it, I wish to die. 
Why could Livingston write in such a way? It was because he was devoted to his God. He was devoted to prayer. He was devoted to opening up Africa for the gospel. And he was devoted to seeing the end of the slave trade in Africa. We're all devoted to something. We may be devoted to walking every morning. We may be devoted to bicycling. We may be devoted to running. We may be uh, devoted to God and to his service and live our lives for him. We may be devoted to uh, family and live our lives to serve them. We may be devoted to work and live our lives for the companies we serve. We may be devoted to wealth and live our lives for the money we can amass. We may be devoted to any number of idols in our lives, chasing after promises that they can never truly fulfill. But not all things are worth dying for, and certainly not all things are worth living for. What should we be devoted to? The Apostle Paul tells us that we should be devoted to the proclamation and promotion of the gospel. So let's look again at Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Here in chapter 4 of his letter to the church at Colossae, the Apostle Paul is giving the church instructions about life under the rule and lordship of Christ. Earlier in the letter, Paul presented Jesus Christ as the Lord over all creation And he reviewed what that means to those who believe in Jesus. Then he instructed the church as a body and as individuals on what it means to live for Christ, to live in obedience to his lordship. And now he focuses our attention on the responsibility we have to make the truth of the gospel known to those who are not part of the Christian community, to those who are not yet believers. He writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here, Paul gives us an answer to a question that we as a church might ask. What can an ordinary group of believing people do to make sure that outsiders hear of Christ? What can we do to promote the gospel? Paul assumes that we as followers of Christ want to be witnesses of the gospel message, both by our words and by our actions, because God has changed us and is working in us. And Paul tells us two ways we can promote the gospel. One, we are to speak to God about people. We are to pray. And two, we are to speak to people about God. We are to share. First, we can promote the gospel by speaking to God about people. Here we learn that effective evangelism begins with persevering prayer. That's why we've encouraged you to be praying for three not yet believers. And I hope you're still doing so. I hope you still have your key tags. And it's you're faithfully praying 
for those whom you know who don't know the Lord. Look at verse 2. Paul tells us to uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To continue steadfastly in prayer is to be devoted to prayer, to be diligent and persistent in prayer. We have to have a determined faithfulness in prayer, not growing weary or sleepy. We are to be awake and alert while we pray. But it's easy for us to let prayer lose its importance in our lives. So Paul exhorts us to be watchful in it. We're to watch for dangers which lessen our devotion to prayer. One danger is growing careless in our prayers. Prayers work and it takes discipline, especially at those times when we find it easier not to pray than to pray. And so we need to be intentional. We need to be persistent in prayer so that we'll not be careless and neglect our times of prayer. Another dangerous distraction. Uh, How many of you sit down for your quiet time and it's not all that quiet because your mind starts racing about all sorts of things? that need to get done. Our minds wander. We, we go to, here's what I need to do today. Here's who I need to talk to. Here's where I need to go. And we lose our focus and we cut short our prayers so that we can get on with the things of life. Things we think are more important. Though prayer is one of the most important, significant things we can do. And so we need to find tools that'll help us stay focused. A third danger is that our prayer times become routine or boring. We do them because we know we should, but the life has gone out of our praying and we grow weary. We don't feel like our prayers make a difference. When this happens, we need to change up our routines and refresh our prayer times. Dangers like these make it hard to be devoted to prayer, to continue steadfast in prayer. And so Paul encourages us to be watchful in prayer. How can we be watchful in prayer? Paul Miller, in his excellent book on prayer called The Praying Life, suggests things like writing down prayer requests. That's novel. Keeping a prayer journal. Using prayer cards. Some people use note cards. Others use their laptops. Personally, I use a notebook. And it's very helpful to me. And in it, I have all the different areas and sections that I pray through that helps keep me focused as I'm going through it. It's very creatively titled, Don's Prayer Book. And this is version 10 I have to update it. I have to keep it fresh. I have to keep it so that I don't grow weary and I'm watchful and mindful in prayer. Ask others about their prayer times, about what they use and what they do, and make changes in yours. Find tools that you can use and that will work for you, and then use them. Make your prayer time Something that you look forward to. Paul also tells us that we're to pray with thanksgiving. We're to acknowledge what God has done for us and what he has given to us. 
Gratitude puts spiritual freshness into our prayers because we see the hand of God at work and it gives us new fervor for prayer. When we acknowledge God's grace and how God has related to us in the past, we are encouraged to trust him more and more to renew and to renew our request for his new mercies. And when our prayers are fresh and alive, we'll be more devoted to prayer. Keep a list of what you're thankful for, of what God has done for you and what he has given to you and spend time each day, perhaps even as you go to bed, to offer thanksgiving to God. It's a great way to end the day. Having encouraged us to continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul then tells us what we are to pray for. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We pray for all kinds of things, don't we? We pray for family, for friends, for work, for needs, for healing, for missions, and many other things. And as we pray, we're also to pray particularly for those who are called to preach the gospel. Paul and his team were called to declare the mystery of Christ, the good news of saving grace. And Paul reminds the Colossians that he needs them to pray for them because the promotion and the proclamation of the gospel is empowered by prayer. The gospel moves forward on the prayers of God's people. So Paul asks the Colossians to pray that God may open a door for his mission and for his message, for the word of truth. Even though Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, he doesn't ask them to pray for his release, but for a door to be opened for the word, for greater God-given opportunity to to proclaim Christ. When we're praying for our family or friends, our co-workers or neighbors who don't know Christ, we're praying for God to open doors. We're praying for God to extend his kingdom. When we pray for those who are called to preach, especially pastors and missionaries, we need to ask God to open doors. Sometimes the preacher has a hard time opening his mouth to preach because of fear or timidness or uncertainty as to what to say. We need to pray that God would open that door. Sometimes the minds of those to whom he's preaching are closed to the message. We need to pray that God would open those doors. Sometimes the preacher has no place to preach. We need to pray for God to open the doors and to give opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. Sometimes the preacher lives in a dangerous situation and to preach the gospel puts him and others in danger. We need to pray that God would open doors of opportunity for the word. Paul then asks in verse 4, that they pray that he may proclaim the gospel clearly as he ought to speak. We need to pray for our preachers, that they can make the gospel known to their audience and that they are clear and relevant. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your missionaries. Pray that as they study the word of God, that God would show them what they need to preach. Pray that they would have adequate time to prepare their sermons and messages. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give them deeper insight into the truth and that he would empower their preaching. 
Pray that Christ would be preached boldly, confidently, and widely, without restraint, that all may hear of him and what he has done. For many years, the church prayed for God to provide ways to get behind the Iron Curtain that separated the atheist Union of Soviet Socialist Republics and the West. In 1991, God answered those prayers, and we witnessed the dissolution of the USSR, and God opened a door for the gospel. Many missionaries, even some from Village 7, went and proclaimed Christ in those countries, and many people placed their faith in him. God heard our prayers and opened a door, a door that is still open and providing many opportunities for the promotion of the gospel. And we need to pray for God to keep that door open as it currently seems to be closing more and more. And we need to pray that God would open more doors, enabling his people to bear witness to him in other countries that currently have doors that are closed to the gospel and to missionaries. The gospel moves forward on the prayers of God's people. So the first way we promote the gospel is by speaking to God about people, especially about those who are called to preach, pastors and missionaries, and asking God to open doors. If you're not sure what to pray for our missionaries, stop by the missions counter in the lobby. There's tools out there, booklets, prayer calendars, prayer cards that you can use to pray for our missionaries. The second way we promote the gospel is by speaking to people about God. Paul says in verses 5 and 6, We walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We have interactions with non-believers every day as we go about our daily routines. God places a store clerk in front of us or a neighbor or co-worker beside us. And we have opportunities to talk with them about life and about what's going on, and we can share with them. We run into them wherever we live, work, and play. And Paul tells us to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, toward those who do not yet know Christ and are not yet part of the church. We're to do this because we represent Christ to them. We are Christ's ambassadors. We've been given a ministry to do for him. So we are to be wise in our actions, in our use of time, in our speech. Earlier in this letter, Paul says that Christ is the source of our wisdom, and so we depend upon him to help us to be wise in all these areas. We need to be wise in our actions, in our walk toward outsiders, in the way we conduct ourselves. We ought to act in ways that enhance and promote the gospel. Like Jesus, we need to love and serve others and let our conduct bear testimony to God. People are always watching us. They want to see if our faith is real. What do they learn about faith and God from our actions, from the way that we live? Do they see us trusting in Jesus or do they see us trusting in other things? Do they see his love because we love them 
Or do they see him as disinterested and unconcerned because we're disinterested and unconcerned? We need to be wise in making the best use of our time, making the most of the opportunities we have to share and to serve. A life is so easy in life for us to just live for ourselves, isn't it? and to ignore the needs of others, and to be, be about our own business. But God gives us many opportunities each day to promote the gospel. And we do so by praying and serving and giving and helping and sharing. What may look like a random act of kindness may be the tool that God uses to cause an outsider to take an interest in your life and to open the door for a gospel. A while ago, I was on my way home from the office, and I had to stop at an intersection. And as you know, at some of our intersections, we have to stop for two minutes or more. And I had the windows down, and I was in the, uh, the right lane, and all of a sudden, I had this guy with his head through the window. Hey, are you going north? <laughs> well, of course I was. I was pointed in that direction. How can I answer that question? I can only say, yes, I am. Can you give me a ride? The bus is late. I'm trying to get to my classes at at the college I'm going to, and I need a ride. Well, he was already halfway in, so... (laughs) What was I going to do? I told him to get in. So he jumped in. When the light turned green... I asked him uh, where the college was and what he was studying, and he asked me what I did. You know, typical guy talk, little chit-chat. I said I was a pastor, and that turned the conversation, and we began to talk about church and faith. And I ended, him taking, I ended up taking him all the way to uh, the campus, and we talked about spiritual things the, the whole way. God gave me an opportunity Right? He gives us all opportunities. Some are more obvious than others, but he gives us opportunities, and we need to make the most of them. We also need to be wise in our speech. What we say should always be gracious or full of grace. This means that our words are to be informed by our experience of the grace of God. They're to be kind and winsome. We're to speak the truth in love. How we say something is as important as what we say. This also means that many of us need to think twice before we speak. Our speech is not only to be uh, gracious, but it's also to be seasoned with salt. Salt prevents corruption, so our speech should be pure and uplifting. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may be that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words give grace? Salt also makes things tastier. We put salt on food to enhance its flavor. In the same way, we should salt our speech so our conversations with others are interesting and compelling, savory and good tasting. Have you ever thought about that? How do your words taste to the ears that hear them? Are your words beneficial to others? Are they gracious and seasoned with salt? Do they speak well of your Lord Jesus Christ? 
Do they sound like Jesus? So as you pray for your friends, we need to ask for doors to be opened so that we can connect with them, spend time with them, and have opportunities to have conversations with them. God often uses us in answers to our prayers. What is he asking you to do or to say to those you're praying for? We're also to be wise in our actions, in our opportunities, in our speech. Why? Paul tells us, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. It's about our witness. It's about promoting the gospel. We're to speak to others about God in both words and deeds. Everyone is looking for answers about life and its meaning. And we as Christians have answers and must be ready to respond wherever we, wherever we are, at work, at home, at play, at the marketplace, or in our neighborhood. Thomas Trevithan says that it is the wise, living, and caring service of the church which provokes interest among unbelievers and moves them to ask questions about our Lord. And questions will come when they see how love and grace and purpose in our lives reflect Christ, when they see Christ in us. And we need to know how to answer everyone. R.C. Lucas points out that when the outsider has chosen the time and the place and the subject, how wonderfully free is the Christian to open his mouth and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. When they open the door for us, we need to go through it. And we need to depend upon the wisdom of Christ to guide us as, and, and we're able as part of our natural conversations to answer people's questions and to answer them in, his own, in a way that is fitting for that individual. We can speak God's truth for their life situation and apply the gospel to their particular needs. We can talk with them about Jesus because we know Jesus and he is with us. If they need encouragement, we can encourage them. If they need advice, we can give biblical guidance. We don't have to tell them it comes from the Bible, but we can give biblical guidance. If they need prayer, we can pray for them. When someone shares a need or a concern, something that's going on in their life, ask them if you can pray for them. Hardly anyone will turn down that request. And then pray right then for them. A simple prayer out loud so they hear your faith and trust in God. This is a meaningful way to live out your faith, to be a witness for Christ. And it's non-threatening and effective. Something like, God, Bob is struggling with this situation at work. Would you please give him wisdom to handle, to know how to handle it? Thanks. Amen. You don't have to have a long pastoral prayer. Just pray for them. So we speak to people about God by our actions and by our words. It takes both. Opportunities are all around us, and we need to take advantage of them and promote the gospel of Christ. What might happen when we do? In Burma, a young woman had questions about life, and she spoke with someone, and they answered her questions, and these led her to Jesus. Now she and her husband are part of a 
100-member church with many new believers. And this church wasn't planned. Christians simply shared their own stories and responded to others' questions as they encountered them in the workplace and the neighborhood. A motley set of inquirers blossomed into a congregation. As we share our stories and let others know who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how he has met our needs and how he is working in our lives, God will use our stories to open doors for the gospel to make others interested in him. We all have a story. We all can share it. We do it all the time. Just be more intentional. Richard Trench, the Archbishop of Dublin many years ago, said prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. God is not willing that any should perish. And so he would have us promote the gospel by speaking to God about people, particularly those who preach the gospel, and by speaking to people about God, particularly those who are outside of the church with our words and with our actions. We are to have childlike faith in the Father's goodness, trusting that he will answer our prayers and open doors for the gospel and that he will enable us to go through those doors and be wise in our actions, time, and words. May God, by his spirit and his word, grant us power and wisdom that we might continue steadfastly in prayer and able to answer each one who inquires about him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to continue steadfast in prayer and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So we come to you in the name of Jesus and ask that you would use us to promote the gospel, that you would open doors for your gospel, and that Jesus would be proclaimed. We pray for those who are called to preach the word, especially pastors and missionaries, that by your Holy Spirit you would give them much grace and power to preach it boldly and fearlessly. And we pray that you would enable us to be steadfast in prayer, to be wise in our actions and in the opportunities you give us and in the words we use as we interact with those who do not yet believe that they might see and hear Christ in us and inquire of him. And, we, and may we know how to graciously answer each one, that they may know the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.